be seated this morning. Thank you so much for being here and being a part. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 today. If you want to follow along in your Bible or on your tablet device or on the Bible Version app, you can see the live events there and you'll find our church with information for you to follow along. I want to share with you a couple things. The last January 2018, there are some signs that God was up to something at, at New Life Church and um, these were the beginning stages of growth and there were some signs of life and there was excitement about the future and we had our family meeting last year and we celebrated what God was doing and we set a goal of becoming self-governing, autonomous, Assembly of God Church. We needed a few things for that to happen that we didn't have. We needed 20 members. We needed willing and capable leaders to serve on our board. We needed an updated set of bylaws. We needed approval from the Wyoming Assemblies of God. And so we set our goal and we began to see God continue to move. Throughout the year, we had several celebration Sundays like we had, like we're going to have next week. We saw people get baptized. We saw kids dedicated to the Lord and families joining the church and becoming members. Last fall, we formed a, a committee to begin to work on our bylaws. And that's not always an exciting process. But the group was committed and they desired to have something that would be good for our church, not only now, but in the future. And uh, there were good discussions. We consulted other pastors, got ideas from other churches. We talked through some issues. The end of last year, we began to finalize that process and, and just cast the vision to the church regarding prayer and fasting. And we really felt like this is a significant year for our church and that God's going to do some incredible things that we needed to cover this whole time and process and all that God's doing in our church with a time of prayer and fasting. So uh, the first week of January, we, we prayed and we fasted. And uh, I preached a message on January 6th about 2020 vision, God's perfect plan for us. And then last Sunday, I stood here and I told you that I believe that it was a historic day for New Life Assembly of God. We concluded our service with a prayer time, commitment and de declaration that this is a new day for new life and that God is doing something miraculous in and through us. And last Sunday night, we came together as a church family, and there was a unity in that meeting that is rare, in, in churches is rare anywhere. I told the first service, it's hard for my family of four to decide where we want to go eat lunch after service and all agree, let alone for a church full of people to all agree and, and be in the same mindset and, and have the same heart. Um, but there was that unity there. And, uh, and it was incredible because last Sunday night we had two unanimous votes and a first ballot vote, which is just extremely rare. That's a boring business meeting and the kind you like, and, uh, and it's awesome. And so what, what happened um, was that we voted unanimously to accept the new set of bylaws that we've been working on, which is incredible, which brings us into a status of being the self-governing autonomous Assembly of God Church was our goal that we set last year. That's something, can you get, put your hands together praise God for that? We elected our board full of leaders, and it's incredible. We've got a picture here to show you who our new board is, and I just believe that God is going to use them. And that's that's your prayer list uh, going forward, to pray for the leaders of the church and pray for what God's going to continue to do uh, in that. And, and uh, there was a vote for us as pastors. It was also unanimous, and that's, that's an incredible unity. And let me tell you, it wasn't until the church was all together in one accord in unity that the Holy Spirit was sent on the New Testament church. And so when we voted and had a spirit of unity here, I just think that honors God in such a tremendous way. And we thank the Lord last Sunday night. But before we go any further in the service, I wanted to update you on it because I know not everyone can be there. And I wanted us just to pause and just sing a hymn of thanksgiving because God has done something incredible here 
is continuing to do it, but it's so easy to go from one high to the next high to the next high, one celebration moment to the next celebration moment to the next celebration moment, and we just forget these are big things that God is doing. This is years and years and years. We were thinking that it was 2004 that we became a, a district-dependent church and, and not a self-governing church. That's a lot of years that we, in the last just week, have seen God do something incredible. So would you just, from wherever you are, just with a heart of gratitude, let's just sing this, this hymn to the Lord of Thanksgiving for all that he's done, all he's doing in our church. Genesis chapter 12, a person who's been called the father of faith. And this is not a title that he gave himself. That would have been weird. Abraham earned the title because his life is a case study in living by faith. 
And I want to talk to you about a life of faith because like I told you back on January 6th when I began to talk about the 2020 vision, I told you I don't know and I can't tell you all that God is going to do. I believe that God has a plan for our church and I believe that it's bigger than me and I believe that it's even bigger than we. That God's just going to do something incredible. And uh, when I talk about 2020 vision, I'm not unveiling some great roadmap for our future. I'm simply referring to God's plan for our church. And we're talking about faith today because I believe that's what's going to be required for us to see God's plan accomplished. It's easy for us to sit back and say, well, we met last year's goal, so now we're good. We can just, we're kind of happy. The church is the size that I like it. I can know enough people and I don't have to park too far away. We can, we can settle in this mindset. We do it in our own lives, in our walk with God. Well, I, I read the Bible like once a month at least and I pray over my food sometimes, but you know, I don't really have to do a whole lot more, right? Like, I'm happy where I am in my relationship with God. We, we can never settle for what God, for less than what God has, less than God's best for our lives. We want to see God's perfect plan accomplished in us and in our church. And I believe that we're in a season in our church that God is taking us to new places. And we said last week, it's a new season for a new life. But without faith, it's impossible for our church to please God because without faith, it's impossible to please God in our lives, in any, any situation. That's just a scriptural principle. And so we've got to be a church of faith. We've got to be individuals of faith. And I believe that there's some people here today that maybe in your personal life, there's some big decisions that you're facing about your future and you don't know what you're supposed to do. It's going to require faith and listening to what God would lead you. And I believe there's some people here that God is speaking to you about certain things but they're beyond your comfort level and you're in a place of decision. You're in a crossroads where you have to make the choice. Are you willing to allow God's stretching and his moving in your life to grow you beyond your comfort level? Or are you going to just stay satisfied where you are and miss out on what God's trying to take you to? Maybe today you know that God's been telling you to go somewhere or to do something or to give something. And there's people here today that are wondering what God is doing in their lives and, and how what you see in front of you is a part of God's plan. You don't see the whole picture, so you're not fully comfortable with it. But that's all a part of faith. These are all reasons that we have to live by faith. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we find Abraham. Who was he? Well, at this point, he was pretty much a nobody. He was a native of, of Chaldea. He was a descendant in the ninth generation of Sham. So, so Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And so this is the great, 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 great grandson of Noah. And uh, he was, he was uh, born in Ur in 2161 BC. And up to this point, we don't know a whole lot about Abraham. He wasn't even Abraham yet. He was just Abram. But listen to what God says to just an ordinary Abram and how this whole thing transpires in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 9. Then the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had directed him, and, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, and people they had acquired, uh, and Abram took his wife Sarah, his new his nephew Lot, and all the position, possessions and people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram traveled through the land to the site of the oak of Morah at Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land for your offspring. So Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
Today I want to talk to you about God's promises to us, our responsibility to him, our response to God's call, and our reaction to it all. And so we're going to start with God's promises. You've probably heard of God being referred to as the great I am. But you may have never heard the phrase, and maybe I'm making it up today, of great I will. Because God is a promise-making God. And what he's saying to Abraham, Abram at this point, is I will do this. If you'll do this, I will do this. God invited Abraham to leave his life of emptiness and to receive a blessing beyond anything he could imagine. God's promise was that he would make Abraham's descendants a great nation, that he would make Abraham's name great. God promised that he would bring blessing and provision to Abraham and his family. For Abraham, the result of God's, keeping God's command was this, three, this threefold promise that God was making to him. These three things. I'm going to take you, an ordinary guy, nobody of, of any significance, and I'm going to make a nation from you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. And I'm going to make your name great. This was significant. As a result of Abraham's obedience and following God and leaving his home to a place that he didn't know, God kept his promise. God did bless Abraham incredibly. God did make him the father of nations as Arabs and Jews alike traced their origin to Abraham. God made his name great. He's a central figure not only for us in Christianity, but he's also a central figure for, for those a part of Judaism and Islam. Abraham's name is a great name. 2161, he was born, and here 2019, we're still talking about the faith of Abraham. God is a promise-keeping God. The Bible says that he's not a man, that he should lie. In 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20, it says, The Son of God does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ through a resounding yes. That's incredible. We can trust the promises of God. God always keeps his promises. Us sometimes struggle keeping ours. Sometimes we can wonder if someone's promise, someone's word is good because people have broken their word to us in the past. Sometimes we maybe inadvertently have, have not kept our word. There's a story that I heard, uh, probably not a true one, but it's a good illustration of a wealthy businessman that lay on his deathbed and the preacher came to visit and talked about God's healing power and he prayed for his parishioner and when the preacher was done, the businessman said, preacher, I'll tell you what, if God heals me, I'll give the church a million dollars. Miraculously, the businessman got better. Within a few short weeks, he was out of the hospital. Several months later, the preacher bumped into the businessman on the sidewalk and said, you know when you were in the hospital dying, you promised to give the church a million dollars if you got well, and I just wanted to let you know that we hadn't received it as of yet. And the businessman stopped, and he thought about it for a minute, and he replied, did I really say that? I guess that just goes to show you how sick I really was. Sometimes we're the ones that struggle keeping our word, right? Uh, Galatians 3.29 says this, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Just as God made a promise to Abraham, he makes a promise to us today. Just as God kept his promises to Abraham, he'll keep his promises to us. Just as Abraham could count on God to keep his promises, we can count on God to keep his promises. God had a plan for Abraham, and he has a plan for your life as well. 
He has a plan for a new life. We can come up with our perfect plan, but it pales in comparison to the plan that God has for us, and it's probably vastly different than the way we would have figured it out ourselves. 2020 vision means saying, God, what is your plan? God, what is your plan for this church? Where are you taking us? What are you asking of us? So to release God's blessing and to receive his promises, it requires something on our part. This is our responsibility. God called Abraham to action. It was uncomfortable action. He called Abraham to something that was not easy. And if you think about it for a minute, Abraham was 75 years old at this time. You could say that he was settled into his way of life. He probably wasn't looking at a major move or something crazy like this happening in his life. You could say that he was settled into his way of life, that he, he uh, was being asked to leave, leave the only life that he'd ever known, the extended family that he'd had, the connections that he'd made, everything behind. We talked about our missionaries this morning. It's incredible what they do when they hear God's call, and God says, I want you to leave the country that you know, your family, your security, everything, and I want you to go to the place that I've called you to and be there and, and, and be a part of my plan that I have for your life. And they obey and Abraham obeyed. God was offering him something far better. He was a man with no children, but God was saying, I'm going to make a great nation of you. He was an obscure individual, but God said, I'm going to make your name great. He was blessed already, but God was telling him, I'm going to bless you beyond anything that you can imagine. This is almost too good to be true, but it wasn't too, too good to be true. It was just the promise of God for his life if he was willing to be obedient. God's promises were conditional. Abraham would have never experienced the blessings of God in the way that he did, and he would have never seen God's promises fulfilled if he had not done his part. He had a responsibility as a part of it. One of the most important words in all of Scripture that we read repeatedly throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is one of the smallest words, if. If. This is significant. God is never going to force his promises on you. He's never going to force you to follow him or to obey him or to receive his blessing. He simply invites us and he says, if we will do this, then God will do that. This is something that requires true faith on our part. To trust God and to believe. To believe that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And for us to keep our part of the responsibility. I wonder what the greatest act of faith is that you've ever participated in. For most Americans, they say the greatest act of faith in their entire life is if they ever choose to pray for their food in a public place. That's, that's kind of sad in, in a way. I want to stretch our faith today, and I believe that God wants to stretch our faith. And the disciples who spent three years with, with Jesus and all this time around him one-on-one, -on -one, they had to come to a place where they say, God, increase our faith. And if they had to, then certainly we need our faith to be increased. We want to be the kind of church that God can bless and God wants to bless our church. God wants to bless your family. He wants to bless your life. But it's conditional on you fulfilling your part of the responsibility. We highlighted some of our missionaries just a little while ago. That's awesome. Oftentimes, our missionaries are answering a call similar to Abraham, leaving what's familiar, going to the unknown. But it's great that our missionaries are doing that and my parents are part of that my parents have been missionaries for 27 years it's awesome nowadays the way missions works you can go be a missionary for 30 35 40 years you can retire and do something else with your life but did you know that the original some of the first assemblies of god missionaries there was no four years overseas and one year back home raising your funds and visiting your grandkids they would pack their belongings in a coffin 
because they knew that most likely the call that God was placed on their heart and in their life was a call to give their lives for what they believed. My parents' situation, we talk about going to a place you don't know, and I think that's what's incredible about God calling Abraham to this place because he doesn't tell him where he's going to go. He says, I'm just go to this place that I'm going to show you. And Abraham goes, it's incredible. My parents, when they, my, my dad felt a call to missions at a young age in his life. He knew he was supposed to be a missionary, but he was starting to run from the call. He didn't grow up in a Christian family. He grew up in a children's home. He didn't have, he didn't know, have a relationship with his dad. His mom wasn't a believer. Someone introduced him to, to the Lord on a baseball field when he was 10 years old. Later, as a teenager, he felt like he was supposed to be a missionary. But he didn't know how that worked. He didn't have a youth pastor. He didn't have anyone trying to help him, and he, he was scared to death. And so what did he do? He went and joined the Air Force. He said, I'm just going to go the opposite direction, right? His own Jonah moment. He found out soon after he married my mom that he was going to be sent overseas with, with the military and be away. And he, he just decided at that moment, if I'm going to go overseas and I'm not, I'm not going to do it running from God, I'm going to do it being obedient to God. So as he had been praying, God just showed to him not all the details, but just one little part. You're going to go to a Spanish-speaking country. I, I'm going to take you as a missionary to a Spanish-speaking country. So they prayed about it. They applied as missionaries to Springfield, and that's what they told them. Just that, that much information. God has, has called us to be missionaries to a Spanish-speaking country. And they began, and they said, we, want to, we feel like we're supposed to go to a place of great need. We don't want to go where there's a lot of churches and a lot of missionaries where it's been established. That's great. Maybe God calls someone to that, but God's calling us to somewhere where people haven't heard the gospel, somewhere that, that is different and unique, where there's a big need, and, and they speak Spanish. And so they said, okay, we'll get back in touch with you. And so they called them a few weeks later. I said, we, we're excited. We, we, we looked at what our greatest needs are, and, and we've come up with a place where you're going to be a missionary to, Equatorial Guinea, Africa. And he stopped for a minute, and he said, there must be some confusion here, because God clearly said it's going to be to a Spanish-speaking country. And they said, well, that's the great thing about it. It's the only Spanish-speaking country in all of Africa, and there's a great need there. There's no churches. We need you to go and be the first to take the gospel to the mainland of Equatorial Guinea, Africa. And, uh, and so it was, it was having just a little part, not having it all. It was a step of faith on the part of, of my family. I grew up seven and a half years, almost eight years, in Equatorial Guinea, Africa. Speak Spanish. That's why I'm as weird as I am, because there's a lot of things that just don't add up. Um, but you guys love me anyways. It's amazing. The first two Scottish missionaries sent to the New Hebrides Islands were killed and eaten by cannibals. On the day that they arrived, after that, it was a little hard for them to find more missionary volunteers that were willing to go to that place, as you can imagine. But even when John Patton agreed to go, well-meaning people in the church tried to, to, to talk him out of it. One elderly man warned him, don't you know you're going to be eaten by cannibals? And this is what he replied. He said, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day of resurrection, my body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He went and he served and he spent 15 years of fruitful ministry. Almost every single person on the island of Anawal where Peyton ministered accepted Christ. God called and he obeyed. And that's what happens when we're willing to obey, but it's an if. It's an if. If you're willing to go, then God has some promises in store for you. Our responsibility when it comes to the promises of God and what God is calling us to is that we have to respond in faith. We have to believe God. We have to obey God. And so my question for you today is, are you willing to step out in faith? Are you willing to leave your comfort zone? Are you willing to take God at his word? 
There's some people here today that God's calling you to something unknown, and it scares you to death. But I love that God says, leave and go to the land that I will show you. And he goes. It's unknown to us, but God knows what he's doing. Corey Tinboom, who stepped out in faith to help Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust, said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because we may not know all the details of what God is doing, but God knows what he's doing. It's unknown to us, but it's known to him. So God is making a, is a promise-making God. But we have a responsibility, and it depends on our response to God's call. God called Abraham in verse 1. What does he do? There's no discussion. There's no interrogation. There's no giving more. It just tells us in verse 4 that he responds in, in this way. It says, so Abraham departed as the Lord instructed him. God said to go. God said, leave everything. God said, go to a place that I'm going to show you. And Abraham goes. He didn't hesitate. He didn't make excuses. He didn't think about it. He just obeyed. Notice that when Abraham answers, answered God's call, it impacted people around him. It impacted his wife. It impacted his immediate family. It impacted his nephew, Lot. There was a lot of people that were impacted by his decision. And I believe that what God does inside of us is never just about us. It's always other people involved as well. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, we talked about the men's retreat in May. And I believe that God is calling some of you guys to go to men's retreat. And it's going to be good for you, but it's not just about you. I believe that God wants to bless your wife through you going to men's retreat. I believe that some of you, your sons or your nephews or your grandsons or whoever it is, needs to go. And in fact, we've created a way where anyone from age 12 to 24 can go to men's retreat for just $20. That covers a meal and everything involved. We want that to happen. We want this to be something that just doesn't impact a single man, but impacts his entire family. So that's just a free men's retreat plug for you guys. It didn't make it to the men's breakfast yesterday. But Abraham's response demonstrated faith by his obedience to God. And even though he was completely unfamiliar with where he was going, it was clearly evident that Abraham believed God. He didn't know what God was saying. He didn't know where God was taking him, but he trusted God. He knew that God was a good and a faithful God. He knew what God had done in the past in his life. He knew that God was going to be faithful to take him where he was going to go. The reason that we stopped and we celebrated and sang a hymn of thanksgiving today is because we're recognizing the past faithfulness of God. And when we look back at where God has brought us from and what he's done, then we should have no problem answering the call, stepping out in faith for our future. Yeah. Faith consists of taking action before you know how it will turn out. We like to know the details. We're planners. We want to know, have it all figured out. We want to see, okay, that's exciting. God's going to work in this way. He's going to provide it this way. He's going to do this in this way. Okay, sure, I'll follow you. I'm in. Well, yeah, everybody would be. That's not faith. God wants you to trust him. Honestly, if he showed you every step of the way, you may not go. Sometimes it's better that we just trust God. We don't understand why things happen in the way that they do or why God's calling us to the certain things that he's calling us to, but he has a plan. He's working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Author Henry Blackaby, he says about our faith that we should attempt things so great that they're doomed to failure unless God intervenes. Just doing things that are going to require you to work a little harder to accomplish them isn't faith. That's just motivating yourself. That's just self-help. That's just you know, having a pep talk with yourself. And that's good. Sometimes we need that. But operating in faith is saying, God is calling me to something that I cannot do on my own. And unless God intervenes, it'll fail. Where do I sign up? Mm -hmm. What has your response to God been? 
Have you responded in faith to God's promises? We should. We should respond in faith to God's past faithfulness. It's amazing what God has done in our church over the last couple of years and what he did last week. And that should cause faith to rise up inside of us that says, okay, God, what's next? Where are you taking us? We've seen how you've been faithful. We can't wait to see the next thing that you're going to do, but it will require faith of all of us. Our response tells us whether or not we truly believe God and what we truly believe about God. Abraham demonstrated his, his tr trust and faith and his belief in God because when God said, leave everything, at age 75, he went. He simply went and obeyed God. The final thing I want us to look at today is our reaction. It's one thing to respond to God's call, to take a step of faith. But what is your reaction in doing that? What does that faith response cause you to do? How does that influence your life? How many of you have ever had a kid that you told them to do something and they didn't want to do it, but they did it, but they pouted the whole way and it took like three times as long. Or you told them, you got to eat your vegetables. So they take a big bite of peas and for the next 30 minutes, that bite of peas is in their mouth. They're doing it, they're obeying, but they're not happy about it. They don't realize that they're going to taste peas for much longer than if they would just swallow those three bites of peas on their plate. But they, they have decided that their reaction is going to be negative. And we throw temper tantrums with God all the time. And if we come to a place where our obedience comes along with a reaction like that, I'm not sure that we're really honoring God or that we're demonstrating much faith in our response. What does that faith response in your life cause you to do? How does it influence you and other people around you? Remember, it's not just about you. Your response to God is going to impact your family. Your response to God is going to impact the people that see the way that you live your life. And it's a bigger group of people. You have greater influence than you'll ever know. Giving is one act of faith. And Paul talks about what our response to that should be. And today the message isn't about giving. It's about faith. But it's, it's a principle for our life and how we respond to God. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says this. Each one must do what he's purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That same principle can be applied to any area of your life. Don't obey God because you feel like it's just the right thing you have to do, but be mad about it. God loves a cheerful goer. God loves a cheerful witnesser. God loves a cheerful servant. God loves a cheerful Sunday school teacher. God loves a cheerful van driver. God loves it when we honor him, and our reaction to that is one of faith and one of belief and trust in God and excitement to be a part of God's plan. There's people that will respond to God appropriately because they know that they should. However, it's not because they wish that that's what, the way it would work out. Their heart is not in it. Abraham's response is that he worshiped the Lord. He built an altar. Once again, this didn't just have an impact on him, but everyone that was with him. His response to his step of faith was obedience to God's call, and it brought other people to a place of worship. It's incredible that, God, that Abraham built this altar to the Lord before he received the promise of the Lord. God says in verse 1, I want you to leave, I want you to go. Verse 4, Abraham goes. He goes to where God's taking him to. God hasn't fulfilled any of the promises yet. He hasn't made him a great nation. He hasn't blessed and prospered him greatly. He hasn't made his name great. In all honesty, Abraham's probably sitting there second-guessing every part of this decision. He's probably saying, what did I get myself into? How is this going to happen? I can't believe that I did this. I can't believe I'm 75 years old and I left everything. What in the world is God doing? And I just imagine in that moment of panic, in that moment of fear, that Abraham said, fear has no choice but to bow. And I'm going to build an altar to the Lord 
And I'm going to worship God before I've ever received what God promised to me. What a reaction of faith. We learned from the life of Jonah a couple weeks ago that it's possible to do the right action with the wrong attitude. Jonah obeyed God because obeying God was a better alternative than death in the belly of a whale, but he wasn't happy about it. He sat and pouted. He wished that God wouldn't do the things that God was doing. And so many times we do that in our life in contrast to what Abraham did who said, I'm going to trust God. I know that God is good. I believe God has my best interest in, in, in mind. I believe that God is going to be faithful to fulfill his promise in my life. And even when I haven't seen it, even in the moments of fear and panic and wondering how God's going to make it happen, I'm going to worship him in the midst of the storm. I'm going to worship him before I receive. Jesse, if you go ahead and come today. We have to not simply settle for the right response, but we have to have the right reaction. We have to take the step of faith, but do it and really trust God in the process. In the moments when you want to second guess instead of worship, when the enemy tells you that you're never going to see God's promise fulfilled in your life, you just have to stop in that moment and praise in the middle of the storm. You've got to build an altar that says, I'm going to trust that God's promise is true and I'm going to see it happen in my life. It's what we have to do in this church. It's what you have to do in your family. It's what you have to do in your personal life because there's going to be a period of time from the moment that God makes a promise to the moment that it's fully fulfilled. And for Abraham, he didn't see the entirety of the promise fulfilled even in his lifetime. He saw the beginnings of it. God gave him a son. This is someone who didn't have a son. And says, God says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And he's got to be wondering, how is this going to happen? God gave him a son, but Abraham never saw a nation. God fulfilled it beyond his lifetime, but Abraham worshiped. Abraham trusted God. Abraham continued to obey in spite of not having received everything. God says, I'm going to make your name great. And here we are, 4,000 years later, still talking about the faith of Abraham, the father of many nations. My challenge to you today is to never underestimate what God may produce through a single seed planted in faith. It may seem like it's not much when you just plant a seed, when you say, okay, God, I don't understand how this is going to work out. I don't understand what this seed is going to yield in my life. But the reality is that a seed that's planted in faith doesn't just produce one piece of fruit. It can produce a whole tree and it can produce fruit for a lifetime, fruit, fruit beyond your lifetime if you're willing to trust God. Never underestimate what God may produce through a single seed planted in faith. What is God speaking to your life? Luke 137 says that not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Just, just reflect on that for a moment. Not one promise of God is empty of power. Not one promise that he's made to you regarding your life, regarding your family, regarding what he wants to do in you is empty of power. Not one promise that God has made regarding this church is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. We can never be full recipients of God's promises as he intends until we're obedient to his commands. It's not going to happen. I believe if Abraham had not departed and gone to where God had called him to, we would have never heard about him. God would have found somebody else to use. We would have never heard about Abraham. God's promises to Abraham would have never been fulfilled. Why? Because God's promises to Abraham were concerning the things that God was asking him to do. It was as he was obedient to God that God, through his obedience, was able to fulfill those promises in his life. We will never be full recipients of God's promises as he intends until we're obedient to his commands. What is God calling you to personally? Will you step out in faith, even if it requires you going outside of your comfort zone? Even if it requires you saying, that's crazy. I'm 75 years old. What do you mean? Drop everything and go. 
Maybe God's talking to you about being baptized next Sunday or becoming a member of the church or serving in an area of the church. Maybe God's talking to you about something with Chi Alpha, being involved in a small group, serving in some way, leading in some way. Maybe it's something in your personal life or something at your work or your high school. Maybe God's given you an idea for your high school, a way that you're going to just share his love with people that may never walk into church. And you're saying, that's crazy. How is this going to happen? Simply trust and obey God. Church, are you willing to trust a known God with your unknown future. Helen Keller said the only thing worse than no sight is no vision. We've got to have vision. Vision doesn't mean that you're going to know exactly how it's going to play out. Vision means trusting God and seeing how God's moved in the past and seeing how God's moving in the future. There's exciting things that are happening in our church and I don't know what God's going to do or where God's going to take us. I got a call this last week from the fire chief of the county that wants to come and talk about the new fire station that they're going to build right over here beside our church. I don't know how that plays a part God's plan. I don't know if it does at all, but I'm excited about what God's going to do there. Last week, we got a call from the land developer that's developing the Timberline Business Park all around our property where we own 38 acres. And he called because he's interested in buying a portion of that property. I don't know how that plays into God's plan. I don't know if it does, but God's doing exciting things. And we just have to trust God. God, what are you doing? How are you moving? What is your perfect plan for our church? you got to do it in your life as well. Because there's things that are in motion. There's things that are happening. There's things that God is doing that you aren't going to fully understand. You just have to hear and obey and trust and have faith. I have no idea how God will do it all, but I have a dream. I have a vision of great things that I believe that God's going to do it as we follow him. He's going to do it in your life as you follow him. You may not understand this season of your life. You may not understand some of the things that you've had to go through in a certain season of your life. But instead of doubting God's promise, if you just begin to worship, if you just begin to build an altar and say, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with this church. I trust you with what you're going to do. Today may be the first step that you need to take. The first step of faith is, is the step of faith into a relationship with Christ today, making Jesus the Lord of your life. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And following that, we're going to invite our prayer team to come. I'm not going to drag it out today, but I want to give you a chance to respond. Maybe there's an area of your life that you feel like you're just lacking in faith, that you know that you've heard God's voice. You know that God's made promises concerning your life. You know that there's something that he wants you to do. He's something he's telling you to do, somewhere he's telling you to go, something he's telling you to give, but you're not sure. You've allowed fear to operate in your life. And this morning, we just want to agree with you in prayer over those areas of your life. Or maybe there's something completely different. Maybe there's something physically that we can pray with you about. Maybe there's a financial need or a family need. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond in that way. But first, I want to give an opportunity to those of you here that are not in a right relationship with Christ. I believe there's some people here that at one time or another, you're in a right relationship with Christ. But if, you, if you're honest this morning, when you're looking at your life and the details of your life, your life is not a life of faith. It's not honoring to God. You're not in the right relationship that you need to be. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to make him Lord. Others of you, maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this. You've never made Jesus Lord of your life. I want to give you that opportunity as well. So I'm going to invite everyone here to pray this prayer after me. It's a simple prayer of acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of our life, believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he's raised from the dead. It's a biblical principle to do. Will you, will you pray with me, everybody here? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your son to die for me. In faith, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that when you died on the cross, 
He died for my sin. And today I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, no one looking around, just a personal moment between these individuals and the Lord. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, either for the very first time in your life, making Jesus the Lord of your life, or you've prayed it before, but you know that when you walked in here today, you weren't in a right relationship with the Lord, but you prayed the prayer, now it's the beginning of the right relationship with the Lord. Would you just slip your hand up today and say, that's me. Today I prayed that prayer and made Jesus the Lord of my life. There was faith lacking in an area of my life. My life didn't match up to what God wanted me, but today I prayed that prayer and made him my Lord. Is there anybody here today? Just slip your hand up and write back down. Awesome. Would you stand with me all over this place today? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and just spread out uh, across the front. Jesse's going to lead us for just a couple minutes in worship. We're going to dismiss shortly, but I want to give you an opportunity because I believe that there's some individuals here that if you're honest, there's faith that's lacking in the area of your life and you just need someone to pray with you. God, would you increase my faith? Would you help me to trust and believe you for my future, even when I don't know what that looks like. Maybe there's an area of your life that you know that God's called you to something and you say, you know what? I haven't stepped out of obedience and I know that I'm missing out on the promises of God by not obeying. Would you pray with me and agree with me to step out in that area, some place that you're supposed to go, something you're supposed to do, something you're supposed to give, whatever it is. Maybe it's a physical need, a family need. We just, we just talked about how nothing is impossible for God. So for just a few minutes, would you just agree with me? Turn this entire room into an altar and allow God to do what he wants to do. I'm going to pray over you. And then I encourage you to turn the next person next to you and ask them if they'd like to go forward for prayer. One of these prayer team members would love to pray with you. They've been praying up this week and agree that God's going to move in this altar time. And I just believe God wants to speak some prophetic things. God wants to move in some big ways. There's words of wisdom and knowledge that God would move in these altars in that way that we'd see the gifts in operation. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing and how you've spoken here. God, I believe that you have a plan for this church. I believe that you have a plan for every life. I believe that your promises for us are good. And if we will obey you, we will see the fulfillment of those promises in our life and in this church. And so God, I pray today that you move in these altars, that you would increase faith, that you would cause obedience to rise up, that our reaction, not just our response of obedience, but God, our reaction to it would be one of joy and serving you and obeying you and trusting and believing that we're going to see the promise of God in our lives and in our church. We want to be a church that can be blessed by God. We want to be a church full of families and individuals that are blessed by God as a result of our obedience and our faith. So God, let it happen this morning. We thank you in your name. Turn to the person next to you. Ask them if they'd like to come down and pray with one of these prayer team members or find a place to pray here. And let's just let God do what he wants to do over the next couple minutes in this service. Miracle. 